Sienna, Elise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to finally meet and good to have a space to drop into a conversation. I've been following you for a while and checking out what you've been doing. I think there's going to be some good stuff here. The thing I want to know first though is like, what is it like having as many followers on social media as you do? Because I, th- I can be quite dystopic sometimes like, oh my God, I don't think I could handle that. Like there'd be so many people messaging and commenting and whatever, but I'm curious, like what's it like from your perspective? It's a good question. And it's a hard one to start with because <laughs> I don't often think about it. And that can be seen in both a positive and a negative way. As in, I'm not saying that the community that I've built doesn't mean anything to me and that individuals within that space hold no value. Absolutely not. I mean it more in a way of like whether I had one point, however many million or 17 billion or which is impossible. We don't have 17 billion on the planet, but you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or three followers, I would be sharing the same thing. So I think it's just a practice of like coming back into authenticity with myself and regulating and checking in and making sure that everything that I do choose to share is coming from, yeah, like a real place rather than trying to please other people because I'm still learning this and I always will be, but I figured out early on and then it's just kind of been like solidifying itself ever since then that you're never going to please everyone. So why try? <laughs> so yeah, I think it's more a practice of remembering that, coming back to that every day. Yeah, I think people can feel that, like the integrity in, in what you put out to the world, whether it be through social media or creativity, you know, whatever your your jam is. I think people can tell if you're integrity with yourself and what you want to be doing. And people can tell if it's like, uh, they're just trying to achieve something here, you know, trying to pander to the audiences kind of thing. Yeah, that goes well past me. That goes into all humans, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not They're so easy. pretty receptive. <laughs> yeah, totally. You can kind of feel it. Um, not so easy sometimes though. You can get swept up in trying to do something, trying to achieve something and kind of lose touch sometimes. Do you ever find like what you put out there seems to be quite on purpose and, um, you know, coming from a real place of curiosity and, and passion? Do you ever catch yourself being like feeling like you've lost that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been in the Instagram influencer, whatever you want to call it, game for like back since 2012, 2013-ish was when it kind of started. And yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's a long process. It's a game and you need to be willing to show up and to learn and to lose as well as to learn and succeed. It's all just about adapting constantly and like changing and staying in the flow and I think that's why personal practices are so important so that they do really just like prime you for the day. So for me, that's like yoga or like waking up at sunrise and getting certain things done to make me feel really good within myself before I can start to even like consider moving into a workspace or jumping on a podcast or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's where it all begins. How strict are you with your morning practices? I'm curious because it's one thing to like talk about them but then it's like, is it every single day? Do you beat yourself up about it if you don't do it? Like what's your kind of mental space there? Um, strict, but not strict. So I don't know if strict is like the right word for it. There's definitely an awareness of how important that is for me. But at the same time, there is so much flexibility around that because so much happens in life that you can't account for, that you can't predict and that you need to be able to like move around with 
And I think that's the whole intention for me, at least, of a morning routine is to be able to better adapt when things unpredictable like pop up and shift things out of place. It's different wherever I am in the world as well, I've noticed. So my partner and I travel a lot. And when we're traveling, our morning routines kind of synchronize a little bit more, which is kind of interesting. And then when we're grounded somewhere, even if we're in the same space, we both have our separate morning routines and then we come back together. It's, yeah, it's cool just looking at the way that human brains work and psychology functions and stuff. It's pretty rad. It's cool. It's like you guys are in a little pod when you're away, probably grounding in like that sense of safety, doing those things together, especially when you're in a foreign country and yeah, more of a unit. And then when you're home, like, you know, the lay of the land mentally and physically, and you can kind of go your own ways, but still be connected. Yeah, that's true. It also probably has a lot to do with the fact that we're currently in Byron Bay and I've been loving going to like Pilates studios and yoga studios, whereas my partner just practices at home, like the same thing every day. Right. So he's a lot less flexible in regards to his morning routines, a lot more rigid. I feel like I've got to fly the flag for the masculine here, right? Like we need rigidity, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a 24-hour cycle. <laughs> I resonate with that a lot. I actually, it was a real challenge for me um, over the last almost four months now. Our baby was born the end of last year and I've been someone who's been quite fixed on my approach in the mornings, you know, yeah. I would get up, I'd, you know, do some form of meditation, drink some water, do some form of exercise, jump in the sauna, and I'm getting to getting into the day and I'm primed. Yeah. And then a baby comes along and says, <laughs> oh, like you're holding on to that, aren't you, Alex? Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> it was a really great learning for me to say, well, look, I can't be that rigid in my approach now because the most present thing in the world being a baby is here and it needs you and it needs you. And so then it was, it became an integrity piece for me. It was like, okay, well, how do I stay integrity with myself? What are the things that have to get done? Therefore don't need to get done in the morning, but just during the daytime. And it was a bit to kind of change that. It sounds simple, but at the time I actually found it quite hard to like, I'd be in the mornings and I'll be looking after Sol and doing something, you know, taking him away, going for a walk to help Kristen get some more sleep because she's been boobing all night. And then I guess, in the middle of, yeah, yeah. I guess in the middle of the day, I'm like, fuck, I haven't done anything for me yet, you know? Anyway, so they're important, but I think it's having that flexibility sometimes, the ability to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Congrats, by the way, on the new little bub. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like I talk about it a lot on the podcast at the moment, but it's just such a good thing. Um, But in regards to like a morning routine, that refinement is so hard regardless of whether or not you have a baby or anything else like standing in the way. mm. Like I've tried before to write out like my ideal morning routine and it's like, how long would I take for each thing? And I'm like, okay, so I have 12 hours of getting ready for the day (laughs) and then I have like four hours of actual day and then I go to bed <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then you like you work backwards and you refine it and you're like all right what are the most important pieces and what is it that I get from those things so even if it's just you know refining an hour meditation down to five minutes ten minutes or just a couple of deep breaths because you get the same amount of like clarity and emptiness if you get good enough at doing it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what's your flow at the moment? Like what are the things that are in your your morning hour or so? I like waking up before the sun. I always have. There's just something so magical about that peacefulness totally. that early in the morning. And then 
I like to move my body straight away. So I've also been doing the I Ching and the five minute gratitude journal. I used to just like journal, but not every morning. And I find that that holds me accountable and I love having accountability things, mm-hmm. whether it's object or person or yeah. time. So yeah. Hold on, do- hold on. Hold on. What, when you say I Ching, you're doing the I Ching. What do you mean specifically? It's a book that my partner's mom sent to us actually. And it has to do with not human design. What's it called? The gene keys. So there's yes. like 64 of them. You, you're aware of this? Yeah. I'm aware, but walk me through it. I want to hear your take on it. Uh, it's a Chinese philosophy, I guess, is probably, or practice is probably a better word for it. And then you use three coins. We just use like five cent pieces. <laughs> and then you throw them heads equal three and tails equal two, and you count them up. So each throw, you do six throws, will be between six and nine. And then it, lines up and gives you a certain hexagram that you're meant to read for that day. Mm. And it's really beautiful, even if nothing else, like just as a ritual. It's not gospel necessarily, but it is always very on point, I found. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool that you're doing that in the morning. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Chinese used to divine with the I Ching, you know. I, I, oh. I, I can't remember the exact process, but it was quite in-depth. They would get yarrow stalks and something to do with, like, how they kind of fell, and then you would have to order them up, and ultimately it would end up giving you a hexagram, you know, and it was actually a really sacred practice back in the day, thousands of years ago, and it would people would actually go to these diviners only when there was something they completely – couldn't work through or they had a, a blockage on, you know, to move forward for themselves personally. And so they would go to these diviners and they would do this process with the arrow stalks and then they would divine them and say, hey, this is the I Ching. And one of the beautiful things about it is there's so much like personal interpretation on it. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the challenges with the I Ching is to be able to translate it, to be able to not put your own take on the translation is often a challenge yeah. uh, for people who put it into text. Anyway, so I love that you're doing that in the morning. Um, continue. I love that you even knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's not common, is it? I think the the gene keys are seem to be a bit more known in our yeah. generation anyway and, and in the spaces we're in. But the gene keys, you could probably argue convincingly that were really derived from the I Ching. And given how old the I Ching is and the fact that they knew this stuff and how it links up with the our genetic code and our DNA, it's like- yeah. What? Like they're it's just mind blowing, in. isn't it? Totally. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. Yes. All right. So you're reading a passage every morning and then Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Just whatever one it lands on and just trusting that it's what I need to hear. And it always is. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, either some kind of elixir normally, or I'll just go straight move. It depends on what I'm feeling. And movement is probably one of if not the most powerful forms of both moving meditation for me, as well as just there's something about it that I think I would literally go insane if movement was taken away from me. Like if I was confined to a little box, I couldn't move my arms or anything. I'd be like, I'm going to have a fit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So whether it be like just a walk, a run, going to Pilates, doing some yoga, anything like that. Yeah. I find it's really powerful and important for me. And then also taking those time, that time for gratitude and journaling, whether it be just a five-minute journal, like what are you grateful for, three things, or actual like writing out what's going on in my head. And I find that that's always, to me, at least felt a little bit more like therapy, like self-therapy. 
because you come up with the solutions yourself. And once you put it on paper, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Like, what was <laughs> I going on about? <laughs> totally. Yeah, these thoughts like get stuck in here sometimes in the morning for me. It's at the nighttime. And then when you just write stuff down afterwards, you're just like, ah, oh, I just got a bit of room up here now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Room for rest, room for sleep. Right. Right. Cool. That's a nice, simple morning flow. I like it. Yeah. Definitely always some movement, some mindfulness, some meditation of some type, whether that is just a movie meditation or taking intentional time and space for breath work, pranayama, and or, yeah, guided or unguided meditation. Mm -hmm. Doesn't always happen though, like at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, These are just tools, you know, and I think the more tools that we have, and the stronger our ability to be able to know which tool to use at a particular time or a particular day or a particular moment in our life, you know, yeah. having those tools. And it's like, I actually need a down-regulating breathwork session right now. Cool. I'm going to go and do that, you know, or I need to go and do hill sprints, <laughs> you know. like having- I need to pound the pavement. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A couple nights ago, I, I just – busy, really busy day and lots of things moving for us at Found Space at the moment. And it got to like 4.30 and I was like, I need to walk away, you know, and I just got in the car, surfboard in the back, went straight down to Bridging Beach and just like got in the surf and just, yeah, that was just exactly what I needed, the cleansing energy of the ocean and using, yeah. you know, a bit of strength and copping a few waves on the head and not really catching much, you know, it was exactly, exactly what I needed. But it's having those tools and the ability to catch yourself and know how to kind of navigate, whether that be in the morning or the nighttime, you know? Yeah. I think it's funny that these tools are often called practices when really the actual practice is learning to tune in well enough to be able to hear what it is that you need Mm -hmm. to then give yourself that tool or that practice. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start to get into all this and where did the inspiration come from? I'm sure you didn't just wake up one morning and be like, I need to learn all this stuff and start doing it. Like, how did you end up in this space? It actually came from severe imposter syndrome. So when I was like 15, 16-ish, I had really bad depression, anxiety, and I had a couple of suicide attempts and ended up in psychiatric wards, ended up not being able to finish the school year and like didn't complete enough school to be able to finish year 10. So my mom helped me find alternate entry into university at the time. And so I ended up getting into university and going when I was like 15, 16. And because I was so depressed and mom's a psychologist, she was like, okay, you just have to go. Like, I don't care whether you pass any tests, whether you even submit assignments. I just want you to have a reason to get out of bed and to achieve something, even if it's just going somewhere that day. So I would often rock up in my pajamas and my Ugg boots and I'd be like, this sucks. And then I'd go home. (laughs) But in retrospect, it was that accountability that I needed. And I learned a little bit and a lot at the same time. I didn't learn as much as I probably could have or should have in regards to like the institutional curriculum that I was learning. But I learned a lot about myself and about the things that made me feel good that didn't make me feel good and the things that I loved and wanted to learn more about. So that's where I fell in love with photography. I'd always had a thing for photography, but I decided I really liked it there. And so I ended up taking e-photojournalism on up at Griffith University on the Gold Coast and never finished that 
degree that was like a four-year degree. I think I did three and a half years. And then social media just started at that same time. So I remember there was like a course at uni about social media and everything they were telling me, I was like, this is not right. (laughs) Like you guys are outdated. (laughs) Yeah. And so I started getting job offers for travel, social media, I guess. So on like wellness retreats and things like that, just being a photographer. And then one thing led to another, an agency in Brisbane was like, hey, are you aware that you can get paid to do what you're doing? And I was like, bullshit, pay me. That sounds great. (laughs) So then it all started from there. And that's when I was always really sporty as a kid multiple different sports, like everything you can think of pretty much. Swimming, life-saving, netball, gymnastics, aerobics, tennis. I don't know if I said that already. <laughs> I did like <laughs> one semester of tennis. And then when I was really depressed, I stopped moving my body because I didn't want to do the things that made me feel good and they didn't give me the same joy or pleasure that they used to. And so when I moved up to Queensland, I stopped everything that I was doing. I was still doing cheerleading, which is like a really team sport. And I really quickly realized how much I missed movement and how important it was for me and my mental health. And so I was like, okay, I will try to do some of these poses that I see these people on Instagram doing and I'll start running. And I, in my head, I was like, I'll train for a half marathon or a marathon. I ended up doing two, I think half marathons, but Amazing. Yeah, but not fast. I just, I finished them, you know, <laughs> like yeah. pat on the back, participation or what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the medal they give you at the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's how yoga kind of started. So I would just go down to the beach every morning at like four o'clock because the sunrise is so ungodly hour, at ungodly hours in Queensland. Especially in the summertime, yeah. Yeah, and I'd take down my tripod and my DSLR and studying photography. I was like, oh, I'll just like practice two in one. And so I would see photos of poses of people online on Instagram and I would try to replicate it. Some I could do, some I couldn't. And the ones that I couldn't, I would just keep trying to do until I could and take photos of it at the time as well. So this is before even like selfie taking was considered normal. Right. Like, yeah. How old were you around this time? I would have been like 18, 18. Yeah, yeah. And so running across to the little DSLR, pressing the timer, the 10-second timer, running back across to the other end of the beach, trying to get upside down, do a headstand. Love it. And then, yeah, take a photo and then I'd write some kind of caption. So writing for me has always been therapeutic, like I shared earlier. And I used to bring that into like really long-form captions, like poetry and, and prose and whatnot. And those always seem to resonate. So that's kind of how it started. And then I started getting asked to teach classes and retreats and I had never done an actual yoga class myself and I was like this is a terrible idea I have huge imposter syndrome I need to figure this out so I started going to a yoga studio nearby in Newcastle where I was born and raised and then the teacher there kind of encouraged me to do my teacher training and so I did my initial teacher training in Byron at the yoga center and then yeah the rest is history I guess yeah cool There's so much good stuff there, especially going to start to run these retreats and like putting yourself in that position. Then like, okay, I got some work to do. But oftentimes you can do it the other way around and then let the training get in the way of you actually knowing if you want to do this thing or not. You know, Mm. it sounds like you were kind of started and then very quickly you're like, I like this, but I got to learn some stuff, you know. 
it was one of the things that one of the only things probably as an overthinker that I didn't question. Mm. I just knew that it felt right and it felt good and I didn't care whether it turned into something more or not because just the practice and just learning, like I love learning. I still love learning. I'm trying to sign up to do like 40 different courses this year, not 40 actually, but maybe, maybe like four yeah, <laughs> because I just, I love it. And it's, it feels really good and empowering to be in those spaces because every time I learn something new, I learn how much more I have to learn. And that's exciting. Mm, mm, totally. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Start learning things and you realize there's so much out there. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, how has your kind of setup changed now? Because you still post really cool videos and things, but I'm sure it's not just a tripod and a DSLR. Or is it? Are you still like running the same kind of rig? No, <laughs> traveling with heavy camera equipment got just too much and iPhones got way better. So mm. I literally just use my iPhone majority of the time. I have a little like vlogging camera, but that's pretty much just for YouTube videos because everything that you share on Instagram is vertical and everything that you share on YouTube's landscape, as you would know, it's so annoying that it doesn't cross over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. Love it. iPhone set up. Happy days. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just like, I will literally lean my phone against like trees or rocks or I'll like dig it into the sand. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, get it done. Yeah, we're actually, we're developing a new website at the moment and we've actually chosen to fully go down like mobile only. So everything that we shoot for it is going to be portrait and then the desktop experience will be compromised, but like big deal, you know, 70% of people on our website at the moment are on mobile. But it's interesting like that. It sucks that that's a decision you have to make because yeah. landscape's really nice, but that's most of the time people are looking at these things on their phone. I mean, you can still make it look pretty good. So when Absolutely. you say compromised, it's not going to look like absolute shit. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. It'll still yeah. be fine, guys. You should go to their website. <laughs> well. Exactly. The desktop version. I was like, all right, I'm not going to go on that website now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it'll actually be amazing. And having that, I guess, constraint in a way has been really helpful from a creative standpoint. Mm. because it's not like, oh, yeah, everything will be kind of big in landscape as we're used to doing. It's like, no, no, we have to make this incredible in a portrait way, you know, so having that constraint can be good. I think just in general, constraints help with creativity. I, I, you know, I find like, yeah, like if I'm playing guitar, you know, and I'm trying to write something in a really obscure key but also mode and then play it in a certain spot on the guitar, it's like this is actually quite challenging but then that's where the good stuff comes from do you find that when you're doing photos and videos and those kind of things everything absolutely everything like even with yoga if you've got an injury or something and you've got to work with but you still got to teach a class you're like okay this is interesting i haven't moved this way before or definitely not in a long time and there's so much there that you normally just like get into the habit and routine of overlooking and when you're forced to trial and error it's fun yeah have you had to teach yoga with some unideal like injuries or anything like that? Um, I haven't had broken bones in a long while. That's good. But I do have ribs that like to pop out and like dislocate. And that's so incredibly painful and you can't breathe. I pretty much just collapse and fall to the floor and I have to like lay on these yoga balls 
for hours on end until it pops back in. Yeah. So that's never fun, but yeah, it's a beautiful challenge. I sometimes like to invite in my own practice and in teaching. So I just taught a retreat last week and gifted all the girls an eye mask and we did blindfolded yoga. Oh. And that's really fun for them as well because it's unique and it's novel and, you know, it's very wobbly. You don't have a proper sense of balance yeah. as well as for me as a teacher to be able to witness just how important and how much I rely on my words or how much I rely on visual cues. And so when those are taken away, I'm like, oh, I have to be really, really clear in what I choose to say and how I deliver it so that everyone understands because you'll have like people in like upside down against a wall, like facing the other way on their mat. And then everyone else is just standing at the top of them. <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, just a reminder to you know, stand up now, take some breaths. Yeah. <laughs> really reminding that person over there. <laughs> If you've got blonde hair and your name starts with R and ends in Rochelle, Rochelle, that's you. Up you get. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Found Space, Australia and New Zealand's premium infrared sauna company. Ready to sauna? Ready to take your health to a higher level? Make your home a place of wellness with Found Space. Visit foundspace.com.au or foundspace.co.nz to learn more. One thing I wanted to ask was you mentioned when we were chatting that you're an old soul in a younger soul's body. And I'm curious like what you mean when you say that and how you kind of got to that understanding of, I don't know, maybe past lives or these kind of things. Again, that's one of the things that I've never necessarily doubted and I've never felt the need to justify it to anyone else or even explain it necessarily. I'm curious to hear other people's opinions on these same things. So when I'm finished, I w- would love to hear your response to the same Hello. question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would say alternate lifetimes or more like if time isn't linear like this, but it is linear like this and then compressed. So all these lifetimes happen simultaneously. And I believe that's kind of where deja vu comes from as well. And I experienced deja vu a lot. <laughs> and so it kind of like all comes into play and yeah, but definitely multiple lifetimes and different realms and realities and different people experiences. Yeah. All of the above, but I don't choose to look at it as gospel, I guess. I don't need that to be true. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I would love to be proved wrong otherwise. Just my personal experiences so far have just led me to to feel that that's what feels most right at the moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, it interested me because I've often been told similar things, mm-hmm. and I think there's a part of us. I'm going to try and say this without sounding preachy. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a part of us uh, like there's this inner knowing and wisdom that actually sits within ourselves, you know. And when you tap into that you can approach life from this level of of wisdom and i think it's within all of us and i do think that past lives are a thing and yeah. i think that some people on this planet have experienced less past lives you know they're relatively new new yeah. souls yeah yeah that's right and then there's the other end of the spectrum um yeah it became so clear to me when i did my fasts a couple of years ago and 
when you're in that like really deep, peaceful, quiet, empty space, it, I was just like, well, this is how it is. Like it was just clear. And anyway, so when I saw you write that, I was like, yeah, I resonate with that a lot. And yeah, I think you can see it too, like in how you go about yourself. It seems like you've been here a few times. How long were your fasts for? Uh, I did two long ones. So one was 30 days and one was 21 days. And nothing but water? Were you allowed coconut water or like psyllium husk and stuff? No? Nothing. Nothing? Not even salt. <laughs> this Was this by yourself or? The first one was uh, facilitated. My uh, fiance and I went to Costa Rica. Uh, yeah. And we went to a fasting facility and we did 30 days together. Wow. Which if you like, if you want to connect with your partner in a way and like a depth, which previously hasn't been experienced, do a long fast. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, really hard. And to be held in some of those moments, you know, 26 days in and you have these big realizations about your life or yourself or whatever it might be. And then to be held by someone else going through the same thing in those moments, you know, it was pretty profound. So yeah, we did 30 days in Costa Rica and then we came back and a year after that, we did 21 days at home. Now and we felt like we kind of knew what we needed to do and how to check our vitals and, you know, again, the tools and the practices you can do to support yourself through something like that. So. Yeah. What was the difference between doing it facilitated and at home? Well, like, were you still trying to do regular day-to-day -day activities when you were no. at home? No. Okay, good. I was going to say, no what? <laughs> uh, so the difference, the second time we had the confidence because the first time we learned a lot. And so the second time we we're like, okay, we kind of know what to do here. So what do I mean by that? So when we went to Costa Rica and we fasted with um, Lauren Lockman, shout out, he's a legend. And each day we would have our vitals checked, you know, the basic vitals, just like blood pressure, looking at the tongue, a few other things. Oh, we'd also get our blood sugar tested every day. And then once a week, we would get like a body scan to see our fat percentage and muscle percentage and our hydration level and see how that changes. And then we would kind of consult with Lauren each day, just like five, 10 minutes, just have a chat. How you going? What's coming up for you? That sort of thing. And then complete rest. Like you do nothing. Right. And the, and the philosophy there is like any energy that you use to do things, um, it takes energy away from your body to cleanse and heal and to go further into ketosis and autophagy and go into these deeper processes. So that was quite challenging in the first few days, you know, to just like sit. And sometimes you'd be sitting and suffering. <laughs> and sometimes you'd be sitting in bliss. But then after, you know, five or six days on water, you kind of don't have the energy to do much. Mm. You know, like I remember there was one place where we would walk each day and after day six or seven, it was like, I, I can't make it down there, you know? So we spent a lot of time lying in our bed and his instructions were literally like, if you can lie down, close your eyes and just be, you know, and that was particularly challenging, but also amazing. So yeah, that was kind of, what we learned, we kind of learned the process and, and I guess the, the things you need to be aware of. Yeah, blood sugar is really important, making sure that's somewhat stable. And so fast forward a, a year and a half after that, uh, we were at home and we said, all right, let's do 21 days. And so we got all the gear, you know, we were testing our blood sugar and we we're doing our blood pressure and we we're testing our body composition. 
and we had amazing friends come around who would um, help kind of clean the house and just kind of look after this, even like do some washing because after days of not uh, eating anything, like most things become an effort. You know, mm. I remember like lifting the water onto our water filter in the last few oh, days. Oh, no. Mission. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah, we just kind of dropped in and, and, and did it ourselves and um, went back into that space and, yeah, came out the other side, I guess. What was the intention for each of those and mm. was it the same for you and your partner? Yeah, good question. Uh, so, in the first one, the intention, we were there to heal physical challenges that we had in our body. So, I uh, had gut issues for most of my life. And my partner had cystic acne all over her back, like so bad she couldn't wear bras, like mm. we had shit going on. And so she'd tried a lot of things and, you know, up until that point we'd gone vegan and we stopped drinking and partying and all that stuff, you know, that was our journey. Like we were really into our health. We'd done a lot of juice fasting, you know, probably like 60 or 70 days all up and we'd done a bunch of that stuff. But still she had cystic acne going on and I had my gut stuff. And it was something I really wanted to do, you know, like you just have this passion and this drive to do things in your life. And I remember I sat down with her and I said, babe, I'm going to Costa Rica to do 30 days on water and I want you to come. And she thought about it. Anyway, she came. So our intention initially was surface level, if you will. It was, I want to heal my gut. She wants to heal her, her acne. And so we went there and we did that. And very quickly within a week or so of starting the fast, it became clear like, there's way more to a fast of that depth than just the physical stuff, you know? And yeah, there was this connection with source that both of us really started to feel and like the heart just truly opens and yeah, it's a very spiritual experience. Mm. If you don't distract yourself, you know, lots of people are spending time on their phone and watching movies and those kind of things. And it kind of gets in the way of you going deep inside. So the intention initially was heal ourselves. Um, we did that after the first one and we'll change people coming back from that. You know, it's like a, <laughs> yeah, there's really no words to, to explain it. You know, like when you have like a, um, like a psilocybin trip or something like that. I don't know if you're into that space, but, and, I am. Like, right, <laughs> right, and then people like it, what was it like? And you're like, <laughs> there's no words for no, it in this reality. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, and the fast is the same. Yeah. There was a, trippy nature about it just stretched out over a month instead of 12 hours, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So then the second time it was, it was just to, to go deep again and, and get into that spiritual space and see what else is there, you know, see what came up. And yeah, so it was a bit of a different intention the second time we knew what we were in for. Mm -hmm. We're at home, which was also really nice and we're just in our space and yeah, it was, um, it was quite good. More likely to be distracted when you're at home, though, I feel like. Yeah, well, those were some of the different challenges, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we the only videos we watched were of, like, uh, guys like um, Lauren Lockman or I'm going to forget his name. Um, there's another really good guy who talks a lot about fruit and this kind of stuff. So we'll just watch a health video, like, every couple of days and, you know, FaceTime with the family every couple of days is really nice and Outside of that, it was like reading books and, and sleeping. I slept heaps in that second one. Like I would sleep until midday, like four or five days in a row. I'd be in bed by seven that night, you know, and yeah. So anyway, um, big experience. But um, Yeah, you might have inspired some people. I have one more question on this though. Why 30 days? Like 
is that what Lauren, the guy recommended that you do, or you just made that your number and then decided to do it? Yeah. Good question. So, um, in the water fasting space, um, whether it's Lauren Lockman, Tyler Tolman, typically a typical water, like long water fast would be 21 days. Mm. You know, they say that's, that's a good level to go deep into ketosis to, to really clean out a lot of the, I guess the stuff that you don't want in your body, mm. uh, be it plaque, maybe it's breaking down proteins, these kind of things. But I spoke with Lauren and I'd, I'd come across the fact that, um, there was something else I wanted to clear. And he said, well, 25 days would be suitable. It's like, but 30 days, like you will be clean, you know? Mm. And so I was like, okay, I guess we're doing 30 days, <laughs> you know? And some people were doing what they call the Jesus fast, which is like 40 days and 40 nights. Um, <sighs> Man, that's, that's, that's serious. But there's so much to take into account, you know, like your level of health going in, how much fat you have, cause you're running on fat predominantly within a couple of days. Um, yeah, like essentially your stores, how much time you have, how much time you have to recover. The longer the fast, the longer the recovery. Mm. Um, so lots of factors. Anyway, it was 30 days for us and then 12 days of eating fruit at his place. And then we left and spent some days in Costa Rica. Um, yeah, 30 days is a long time. 21 days, I think, is good if you want to experience a, a long fast and do that deep cleanse. It's pretty extreme, but also very, very... Yeah. I wonder how many people are, like, going to hear this and go Google Lauren <laughs> Lauren Lockman, was it? Or Tyler yeah, yeah, Lockman? Yeah. Or- <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I, I spoke about it a lot at the time, you know, and um, it was such a big shift in, like, my life and trajectory and the things that were important and my value systems and these kind of things all changed during, especially that first fast, Mm. you know, my connection with my spirituality and, you know, past lives, you know, all these things. Yeah. Um, But it's also not for everyone as well. And I I would say, yeah, like you really got to want it. There's heaps of really great science and anecdotal evidence around the healing of pretty severe things, um, type two diabetes, you know, cancer of the liver, cancer of the blood, brain tumors, these kind of big, possibly lethal, you know, diseases and things. Um, many of them can be really improved by doing a long fast. You know, we're like, what are we doing? We're getting out of the way. Yeah. The body has the innate wisdom to heal itself. And if we just stop putting shit in mentally and physically in what we eat and just rest, which is really hard, especially for me, <laughs> the body will heal, you know. It, it has that ability. I've seen it. You know, we, we met someone there who... I think she had stage two or three lymphoma, you know, and she fasted, went back, ate cleanly for a few months, and then she was in remission, you know, like no chemo, nothing, just let the body heal. So anyway, I can get on a high horse about it, but it's powerful and hopefully some people do look it up. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a Vipassana as well. Yes. 10 days, no speaking, no stimulation of any type. Most people are like, why would I want to do that? But everyone who has done it says the first two, three days is super hard and then you finish and it's profound. Yeah, well, it's this, uh, it's like abstaining from something fairly major. Yeah. Now, in Vipassana, it's really abstaining from communication, abstaining from talking, you know. In fasting, it's just abstaining from eating. And what's on the other side of that? I haven't done a Vipassana, but I've heard it's very similar. What's on the other side of that is magic, you know. Um, have you done some Vipassanas? No, I was – I'm currently – I'm about to head off again in May. My mum and I are going to Cambodia with Habitat for Humanity, so we're going to be – What's that? What's Habitat homes. for Humanity? 
we build homes. Like part of the organization is they take teams to different locations around the world, to communities that need a little bit of extra help and support. And they do everything from, yeah, like building homes to like finding clean water supplies and pretty much everything within that kind of realm. So we were booked in though to do it March 2020. And we, yeah, three days before we were supposed to fly out, all the airports closed and the whole world closed down and collapsed. And so we didn't get to go. That was supposed to be in Nepal. And so I was going to go afterwards and, yeah, go do a Vipassana in Nepal because there's a whole bunch of them all around the world. But it felt really cool for whatever reason or aligned to do it in Nepal, just being a little bit closer to the Himalayas and to India and, yeah, I haven't, I haven't even been to India myself yet. Yeah. That's somewhere that I would love to go, but I'm aware that it's so much more challenging than it is. Like it's spiritual because it's challenging rather than just like being a beautiful place. Right. Yeah. 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 There's something, uh, I haven't been to Nepal or India either, but there's something about those countries and places that just, there's like a calling to go there, yeah. right? You know, there's just something about it. Even just walking- sacred spaces. Yeah, sure. totally. Yeah, exactly. Like walking through the Himalayas, you know, you see those videos and the, just like the scenery and the epic nature of all that is just- Yeah, but everyone who's been there has told me it is not like that at all in the mm. cities. Like it's the complete opposite and it will shake you to your core and, yeah, really make you question why you're there in a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. My fiance, Kristen, she did a Vipassana in India actually. And she's like, it was pretty hardcore, (laughs) like really hot and like the bed sucked and it was like pretty painful. But I think that's the whole point, you know, exactly. Yeah. Gotta go through that. Yeah. And the abstinence thing. uh, Yeah. It's such a thing. You know, I remember after fasting, we didn't listen to music for that 30, it was like 33 days or something until I listened to music again and I'm telling you, like, I don't know if you're a muso or playing instruments or anything, but I'm sure you love music to some degree. Anyway, it was like, I actually cried. <laughs> I put, seriously, I put music on and I was like, oh my God. Like, and I just, I, I just started bawling my eyes out listening. I don't can't remember what it was. And just on like this patch of grass, it was just this, you know, it, it really taught me what music does for the soul and what it does for us as human beings and mm-hmm. how it connects us with our emotions and just opens us up and oh it was epic and I just I just went back I remember saying to Chris and I was like music <laughs> music you know like it just music is life yeah literally I was like I just had this whole thing and similarly with um with laughing I had a similar experience you know because in the fast yet kind of just in this real kind of I guess not serious world but you you're just not expressing much, you know, you're, yeah. you're like a wilted uh, lettuce sitting on the couch every day, just like surviving. You're really selling this to people. No, well, that, like but the- wilted lettuce on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like the suffering that you got to go through, you know, like that's, yeah. and it's not always like that, it's, but there's times of that. Anyway, so we didn't laugh a lot, naturally, like it just didn't happen. And then the first time I, I laughed, it's like seven days after we started eating again. 
And I just ended up in this laughing fit and I just could not stop. It was just like the best thing. And my whole body was activated and like muscles tensed. And it was just like this, again, it was like a release. It was uh, magical. Anyway, there you go. You asked about fasting. You've got the down low. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what's next for you? Like you said just before on air that we were, uh, uh, you were, learning how to, to teach Pilates and things. Um, so there's that, but like, what are you, what are you visioning at the moment? Like what's the big stuff you're working towards? I'll be honest with you. I'm at the point in my life now, I'm 28 and sat in return. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm kind of half waiting for my life to implode. <laughs> but I'm excited for it if that's what happens. But I also... I'm at the point where I'm ready to make a move and I feel like I've been sitting on so many different possibilities and options for so long now that there is the deepest part of me is just like, just do anything, just something and it will work out. But I've been living in fear and judgment of myself and of, yeah, fear of failure. Mostly a lot of my life up until this point has been dictated by a lot of fear and doubt and insecurity. And so I'm not sure just yet what the next steps are. We're still doing retreats and traveling and still trying to figure that out. But I have a lot more self-confidence now and self-empowerment just since like a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) And the only thing that happened was that I decided to host my first ever yoga retreat fully by myself. So like organizing everything, the space, all the goals once we're there and then hosting and facilitating the entire time and being the point of contact for everyone. And it felt so good. I'm like a huge introvert. So being in those spaces, you would think would be a little bit more draining, but I just came out of it and I was like, whoa, I'm actually capable. I'm powerful. And that I've never admitted that to myself or out loud. And so my, my partner and I were doing a check-in afterwards and he just like sat there doing exactly that. He was like, yes, SJ, <laughs> like get it, girl. <laughs> so I'm excited to see where that energy leads. Mm, yeah, love it. Love it. It's a good energy. Hang on to that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So are you going to do some more then? Are you going to do some more retreats? Yeah, yeah. We've got two more planned this year. So we've got one in Greece in July which is going to be beautiful. And then another one in Peru in November. That one's actually going to be over my birthday, which is cool. Epic. Um, When you're in Greece, are you going to be only in Greece or will you go to Italy or something like that? We'll go from, we'll be in Bali for a little while first. We're teaching at an event there. And then, yeah, we'll fly straight to Greece, teach the retreat, and then we're going to do a little bit of Europe. We're not too sure yet what that's going to look like. We should probably get moving on that and find places to stay before everything's booked out for the summer. But, yeah, that's the plan currently. Yeah, nice, nice. That's a good way to spend the Aussie winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to be in Italy in, in July. Oh, Italy, really? France, yeah. I'll high-five you for seeing in the street. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Cool. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a fun chat. I really appreciate your time. For those who don't currently follow you, if people want to find out more about you and follow what you're doing, where can they do that? Instagram is probably my main platform. 
Siana Elise, S-J-A-N-A-E-L-I-S-E. But if you just type in S-J, it'll probably pop up because yeah. not many people have S-J as the first two letters of their name right. or Instagram username. And then <laughs> YouTube as well. I post or I have been posting and I will continue to upload weekly yoga classes on there for anyone who's interested as just a way for people to be able to do yoga for free. I know how much of a toll that the financial component can play on some people, depending on where you are in your life currently. And I don't ever want to stop, have that stop someone from being able to experience yoga. So yeah, I've made it my mission to do one a week for ongoing for at least the next year and a bit. And yeah, we'll see what plays out after that. Amazing. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure's all mine. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.